evidence and answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat had the opportunity to be a guest on the nationally broadcasted radio ministry entitled Point of View. The topic was Abuse of Churches and hosted by Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. You will hear questions and answers taken from live phone-in calls relating to this specific topic. Without delay, here's part one and two of a broadcast Kirby Anderson has with Pat on abusive churches. We're going to spend some time talking with Pat Zuckerin. Dr. Pat Zuckerin has been with us before and actually has been very much involved in speaking on things like apologetics, but he's also written on the issue of abusive churches. We're going to get to that a little bit later as well. Holds uh, graduate degrees from Dallas Theological Seminary as well as from Southern Evangelical Seminary, where he received his doctorate of ministry. He now serves on the faculty of the Bible Institute of Hawaii and has been on the faculty of various Christian colleges around the world. He is the president of Evidence and Answers, which is a Christian apologetics ministry. We have a link to that on our website, and that is based in Hawaii and also, of course, is a national international speaker on all sorts of different issues and has his radio show, Evidence and Answers. Some of his books that you might be familiar with, and we've talked about on the program with him before, The Apologetics of Jesus, which he co-authored with Norm Geisler, Unless I See, and a book that he was an editor of, God, Eternity, and Spirituality. Pat Zuckerman, always great to be with you. Hey, Kirby, great to be with you, and aloha from Hawaii. Aloha, yes. And I might also mention that uh, you are going to be doing your annual apologetics conference, and I thought we might mention that, not that too many of our listeners can make it to Hawaii to actually participate, but <laughs> I think uh, you oftentimes make tapes available and things of that nature, which they can find in Evidence and Answers. And since I'm one of the speakers, Dr. Richard Land and some others, talk about the conference for just a moment before we get into some of these other issues, because I know that uh, people might want later to get some of the tapes and learn a little bit more about some of these very important issues that you'll be covering at the conference. Yes, you know, every year we have a Hawaii uh, apologetics conference where we bring some of the best uh, Christian scholars from all over the world to come and speak here and equip the people of Hawaii and really present the compelling, powerful evidence for Christ and answer some of the challenges facing the culture and the church. And we've had guys from Norm Geisler to Ron Rhodes, Gary Habermas, and others. And this year, our theme is, Can America Be Good Without God? In other words, you know, America stands at a very critical crossroads here. It doesn't take much when you're looking at the media and hearing what's going on. Yeah, we stand at a very critical crossroads. And a lot of people don't realize how critical belief in God or Creator is to the health and welfare of a nation and the consequences of turning away from that. And our presidents from George Washington to our modern-day presidents have echoed that warning to America. You're very clear of that uh, in many of your writings, Kirby. And... Uh, that's our theme, and our speakers this year, of course, yourself, Kirby Anderson, uh, host of one of the top Christian radio shows in the United States, Point of View, and Dr. Richard Land. He is the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, but he served under the Religious Liberty Commission under uh, George Bush, and then uh, was later reappointed by uh, Mitch McConnell and Bill Frist, and he was voted um, by Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. So we got two great speakers, uh, plus several more breakout sessions. Our uh, seminars include 
um, the rise and fall of nations, the uh, One Nation Under God, your presentation, Kirby, the little-known Christian history of America, how Christianity played a, a vitally important role in the foundation of our nation, and it's a big reason for why America became the prosperous, uh, free nation that we are today, and then church and state, what it means, what it does not, America at the crossroads, uh, the country that God would bless, many other great seminars like that, and we're going to have a great lineup of speakers. So, yeah, come, enjoy the beach, and enjoy the conference. <laughs> we know that probably very few, if any, will be able to attend, although I do know that we have listeners in Hawaii, so if they're there, uh, come out, and that's all on your website, Evidence and Answers. But I mention that because not only this conference, but previous ones, you have some great podcasts uh, from your radio program, interviews that you've done, information from the conference, and so I would encourage people to find out a little bit more. And again, you being one of the kind of the leading Asian-American apologists around the world and do literally travel around the world speaking on these issues, I certainly wanted to educate people about that. And we're going to get into this issue of abusive churches, but I would be remiss, Pat, if I did not spend just a little bit of time talking about some of the trips that you've taken with Evidence and Answers, and that is that you've gone over to Japan a number of times, and I think very few people realize how Christian Japan was at one time. I mean, realistically, only about 1% of all the people in Japan could be called Christian in any sense of the word. But back in uh, the 16th century, Francis Xavier came to Japan, and Japan really embraced the gospel message. And there were at least 300,000 Japanese Christians. But then the shogun, as I understand, began to outlaw Christianity, began to persecute Christians, Uh, It was almost like a mini Holocaust that took place. And you took the time over two different trips uh, to go go back and really kind of trace the Japanese persecution of Christians. Tell us more, if you might. Yes, a lot of people, you know, know Japan as one of the most technicalized countries in the world, technically advanced countries in the world. And many don't realize Japan has a tremendous, rich Christian history, older than our American church history. And you're right, you know, Francis Xavier arrived... (laughs) in 1549, and the Japanese people embraced the gospel. In just the two years he was there, thousands of Japanese, the peasants, but also the samurai, came to faith in Jesus Christ, and it spread throughout Japan. But one generation later, you're correct, uh, the shogun, uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, began the persecution of Christians. He saw them as a threat, and there are several reasons for that. And what a lot of people don't realize is that perhaps one of the greatest massacres in the history of the church occurred in Japan. It is estimated nearly 300,000, or some even estimate as high as 1 million Christians were martyred for their faith in Christ. And the shogun realized, you know, if I just kill these guys, it really doesn't do much. But if I torture them and get them to renounce their faith and then parade them around the country, that is more effective and powerful. And so a lot of people don't realize the worst torture of the Christians came upon the Japanese Americans and its own, I mean, the Japanese Christians. And a lot of people don't know that it's only in Japan that pregnant women were tortured and killed for their faith in Christ. So women and children, some of the worst forms of torture, when we went there, people were surprised at the torture uh, the Christians suffered at the hands of the Japanese leaders. But also, those stories are tremendously inspiring in how tens of thousands of Japanese men, women, and young children would not renounce their faith in Christ and remain committed 
throughout the days and weeks of torture and gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Just amazing. And again, if you would like to know some more information, we have a link to Pat Zucharin's website, Evidence and Answers. I know episode 318 and episode 319, part one and part two, all about this Japanese martyr tour. And I think it would be very encouraging. I mean, it's a little brutal because we're talking about uh, the kind of torture and everything that took place. But it's sort of this unknown chapter in the history of martyrs for the Christian faith that I wanted you to be aware of. And I think one of the best pieces of evidence and best pieces of information that you might be able to find will be on Pat Zucran's website, evidenceandanswers.org. By the way, if you want to ask a question about that, we certainly will take some of those questions. But in just a minute, we're going to get into Pat, who has written on, not only in a thesis, but also in radio programs, the abusive churches. And that has become a very important issue, and I wanted to spend some time talking with him today. And I know that there will be questions that you'll have about that as well. I thought we might spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of abusive churches. And Pat uh, used to be with Probe Ministries. And Pat, uh, just recently, we kind of did an analysis of some of the most popular radio programs that we've ever done at Probe Ministries on our Probe radio program. And yours was in the top three, I think it was. It is amazing to me. There are a lot of people that have been in or have come from or experienced in one way or another an abusive church. And when you wrote about that years ago, it still is one that you find people coming to all the time. And so I guess we need to maybe just start with this idea of spiritual abuse. I know on your website, Evidence and Answers, you've got a two-part program that people can listen to on spiritual abuse. But we tend to be familiar with things like um, you know, physical abuse, spousal abuse, verbal abuse. But there is such a thing as spiritual abuse, isn't there? Yes, Kirby. You know, and I wrote that article uh, several years ago, over a decade ago, I think, there at Probe Ministries, and I get at least one email a week from people saying they have been victims of spiritual abuse and how thankful they are that they can finally identify what happened to them. But, you know, when we talk about spiritual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse occurs, you know, when a, pers- when a person in a position of spiritual leadership uses that authority to intimidate and manipulate those under him to fulfill his goals and objectives. And the reason we call this abuse is that there is a tremendous emotional pain on the followers who is forced to live up to the demands of the leader. And after sacrificing much of their lives and family for the organization, they realize they've been manipulated and exploited, and there's a tremendously painful exit process there. And so that's why it's called spiritual abuse. I mean, it uh, takes a tremendous emotional toll on individuals and families. And again, we're not necessarily talking about cults, although you're quite an expert on cults. As a matter of fact, uh, co-authored a book that uh, really is still used by a number of people, God, Eternity, and Spirituality, on different religions and cults and things of that nature. But we're not talking about the Moonies or um, Children of God or something like that, some particular um, very manipulative one that has bad theology. In some cases, much of the theology may be orthodox, although I have to have some questions about their view about church government, but much of it may be orthodox. So this can happen in churches that still have an orthodox theology, but have overbearing spiritual leadership, right? You're right. You know, uh, it can happen in um, uh, biblically-based kind of churches from Pentecostal to Southern Baptist. We've seen spiritual abuse occurs in in different kinds of governments of the church, from 
those that are more top-down, to those that are elder-led, to those that are congregational-led. So spiritual abuse happens in uh, almost all the denominations and in every type of church government. You can have some kind of spiritual abuse there. Let's, if we can, kind of encourage people to, as they follow along, maybe take some notes, because we're going to give about, uh, I guess, nine different characteristics of that. But the first one has to do with the leadership style. Usually in these abusive churches, you have an authoritarian leader. Now, that's important. Uh, Help us understand maybe the difference between somebody who is a strong biblical leader and somebody that's an abusive leader? How do we begin to identify and maybe make the distinctions between the two? Yes, you know, a strong leader has strong vision and great communication skills and is able to persuade people to follow after Christ and the mission for which God has placed upon him and the mission for their lives. However, his focus is to get followers to follow after Jesus Christ. So a strong leader is driven by the love of Christ and wants the best for his people, even if that means you know, they need to go to another church or another ministry to fulfill the calling that God has upon their lives. And biblical leadership is servant leadership. We see that modeled by Christ throughout the Gospels. I mean, John 13 is a, is a clear example where Jesus uh, took off his robe and washed the disciples' feet. So a true shepherd will use his influence to draw members into a close relationship with Jesus Christ, who is, according to Ephesians chapter 5, the only head of the church. And a true shepherd realizes that the people in his congregation, they don't belong to him. They're God's flock. A strong leader doesn't mind being asked questions. You know, Paul commended the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching was indeed accurate. And a strong leader doesn't mind accountability. In fact, he surrounds himself with strong people who hold him accountable. Now, an abusive leader uses his position to intimidate and manipulate his followers and actually control their lives. So an abusive is driven more by ego and his desire to control. Uh, They do not like being questioned. In fact, uh, questioning them is equivalent, really, to questioning God. Mm Mm-hmm. He's closer to God than the rest of us. He's got more insight than all of us. So how dare you question the leader? And often those throw scriptures at you, you know, lift not your hand against the Lord's anointed and others. Uh, They do not like accountability. There's very little accountability there. Even if he has a board around him, usually it's, you know, those who are very submissive to him, his yes men that are around him. And so, you know, those are some of the differences between a strong leader and an abusive leader. You know, I'm just thinking if somebody even had kind of a scorecard here, they could say, okay, uh, does does the individual that leads us in our church or our Christian organization, is he or she accountable? Uh, do they use manipulation like guilt or peer pressure or intimidation? Uh, are they open to suggestions or are they willing to answer questions or do they shut you down with some of that? And in some cases, there's another aspect of that, the issue of isolation or maybe even uh, shunning an individual uh, as a way to sort of shame them back into the fold. And so if you see some of that, that's part of a leadership style that is used by an abusive leader, isn't it? Yes, that is, you know, um, and Abusive churches range on the spectrum. They can be mildly abusive or very abusive. You know, so they're somewhere in the range there. I've been in churches where I've seen very abusive leadership, 
where they literally control the person's life. I mean, they tell him who he can date, what job he can get, what classes he can take in college or whatever. And then I've seen some that are more uh, manipulative and milder uh, kind of abusive cases. And so they range in a spectrum. But basically, yeah, it's an authoritarian leader who is using tactics of manipulation to bring his followers into total submission to him. And so some that you mentioned is correct. There's no questioning of the leaders. And if there is, there is use of guilt and pressure and intimidation by the leaders to get that person back in line or conditional love. You know, uh, you're loved to get you in, but once you're in, if you're not living up to the standards or doing, you know, what the leader has commanded his people to do, I mean, the love is conditional there. And often you'll see harsh discipline. I mean, if you're missing Bible studies, if you're not tithing, you may get a visit from the elders or a pretty tough email, or you even may be uh, denounced from the pulpit, and there's threats of divine judgment. Also, what you talked about, uh, isolationism and uh, control of information flow. And all of this is to manipulate the person, not into following Christ, but actually being controlled by the leader to fulfill the leader's ego sometimes and his objectives. Well, let's, uh, we've already talked about you know the abusive leadership, and then the second would be manipulation. Let's take the third one, which sort of is overlapping that, and that is oftentimes these abusive churches have a very legalistic, very rigid structure. And you've had uh, stories of people being forced to work from 5 a.m. to midnight, uh, five days a week. Individuals that uh, went to only four out of the five Bible studies and were uh, denounced from the pulpit. So uh, there's a heavy emphasis on legalism, isn't there? Yes, you know, and there is a lot of pressure to attend all the uh, events that are happening at the church. You know, there's some that we've studied that they're pressured to attend Bible studies three to five times a week, but on top of that, to meet with their leaders regularly, one-on-one. There are requirements for evangelism, and you have to meet some kind of quota, whether it's you know, a timesheet or it's just kind of uh, verbalized and kind of informal. Uh, devotion to the church is priority over family. You know, although they may say, well, family is priority, but if you miss a church event, boy, you really get it. Uh, somehow there's codes and regulations often you know on the more harsher uh, manipulative kind of churches the more abusive kind of churches you know from detailed aspects of your life your dating life uh, how you spend your finances the kind of courses you're going to take uh, even your sex life and others i mean in the very abusive kinds of churches wow let's and, take yeah, yeah. Let, let me take a quick break i have one of those mandatory breaks coming up you're a talk show host you know all about that and when we come back we'll uh, look at a few more of those characteristics of an abusive church and if you'd like to join us perhaps you have your own story or would like to ask a question 1-800-351-1212 pat zukran is one of only a few people that really have addressed this issue of spiritual abuse and abusive churches and that's why while we're not only talking about his upcoming conference I wanted to um, educate you about a phenomenon that we have been paying attention to and need to know more about. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes Part 1 and 2 of Kirby Anderson's interview with our host, Dr. Pat Zucharin, on the topic of abusive churches. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. 
we have a wide variety of resources available to you. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, please click on the Donate button outside of our homepage. Join us again next time on the air or online for more evidence and answers.